The text that calls for our attention this Lord's Day comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 26, and especially these words. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit on the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord God will choose to make his name dwell there. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the services that we use most often here at Peace, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but our confession of faith, usually spoken in one of the words of the creeds, and the gathering of our offerings are almost always fairly close to one another. In the service we use today, only this sermon sort of sits between the two. In the other service we use, only the prayers separate the two. And it seems this is by no means a coincidence. Our Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy chapter 26 helps us make this connection clear. The word Deuteronomy is a word that simply means second law or something like that. And it's not that in this book God is somehow coming up with a new law to replace the law that he already gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Rather, he is repeating that same law for a second time. You see, the law was given shortly after the people had come out of Egypt. And after 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, God was now prepared to take his people across the Jordan River and into the land of promise. And so at that point, he repeated his law to them again, especially since many of the provisions of that law were intended for life in the promised land. In our particular text, God instructs the people about what they were to do when they finally got into that land and had lived there long enough to both sow and then reap in the fields. When that happened, they were to take the very first of the produce that that land brought forward, and they were to bring it to the Lord. But as they brought it to the Lord, they were to do something else. They were to make a confession of faith. First, they were simply to make a brief confession, to basically state that they were there in that land with that produce because God had made good on his promise to bring his people into that land. But then they were to get into a little more detail, we might say. They were to speak about the story of their people, beginning with their father Jacob, who would later be named Israel. They were to talk about how Jacob and the people of God ended up moving into Egypt at Joseph's invitation, how they went there first to prosper and then later became enslaved. Then they were to speak about what had just happened. They were to speak about God's saving of his people. The fact that they had cried out to God in that slavery and that he had heard their cries and delivered them out of Egypt and now had delivered them into the land of promise, that land flowing with milk and honey and all good things. Giving this first fruits offering was one of the ways that God's people were to recognize all the good that the Lord had done for them. 
Yes, their offering and their confession of faith went together. They made their offering as they confessed that God had saved them. And so we do also. Our confession of faith and our offering of things to God go together as well. You see, we are to do these things because we are grateful to God for what he has done for us. No, we don't offer things to God as if we were going to buy his favor. We don't need to do that. We already have his favor in Christ Jesus. And that is why we then give in thanksgiving rather than trying to earn God's favor. Yes, our offerings are always meant to be acts of thanksgiving, which we confess that we are joyful because we have been saved by Christ. And so it is appropriate that the creed and the offering are close companions in the divine service. For if they were not so close, if they were separated a little further, we might almost need to say something when we gave our offerings in order that we might remember why it is that we do that in the first place. We might need to say something sort of like what these Old Testament people were instructed to say when they brought forward their offerings. We would need to come forward with the best and first of what the Lord God had given us and maybe say something like this. We have wandered throughout this life. Even though the Lord has been so good to us, we have often ended up in all sorts of trouble of our own making. We have become enslaved not to some country or some ruler, but to the cruelest master of all, sin itself. But then we cried out to God, and he heard our cry, and he sent forth his Son into the world to take us out of this slavery and to deliver us into the promised land of rest. Yes, that's the kind of thing that we might need to confess as our offerings were placed into the plate to be placed onto the altar to remind us again of why it is that we would ever give anything at all. Last Wednesday in our Ash Wednesday service, we prayed one of the most ancient prayers that the church has handed down to us. It is a prayer that has simply become known as the litany. And one of the parts of it instructs us to pray these words. By the mystery of your holy incarnation, by your holy nativity, by your baptism, fasting, and temptation, by your agony and bloody sweat, by your cross and passion, by your precious death and burial, by your glorious resurrection and ascension, and by the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, help us, good Lord. So why do I bring that up today? Well, because the truth is, the Bible tells us that both a sincere confession of faith and cheerful giving both come forward from truly understanding all the good that God has worked for us. And sometimes, perhaps, we become so focused on the cross and the resurrection that we forget all the other things that Christ did for us as well all the other things that were necessary for him to do in order that we might be saved, that we might be taken out of the slavery of sin and be delivered into the promised land of rest. In our gospel reading for today, we heard how Jesus defeated 
all the temptations of the evil one by quoting the word of God right back at him. And while we often hear that story and rejoice in it as a show of Christ's power and his defeating of the devil, perhaps we don't often immediately remember why it is important at all for our salvation. We forget that we who are sinners, if we are to be saved, well, we need a perfect sacrifice to be offered on our behalf. If there is no perfect sacrifice, our sins remain on us and we perish. And so, when Jesus is out there in the wilderness, our very salvation is at stake. If he fails once, he is no longer blemishless. He's no longer able to be offered up as that Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when we recognize this, we should rejoice each time we hear him defeat the devil. Every time we see him stand firm, every time he proves that he is that mighty fortress of which we just sang. For if he had not, we would be lost. Our sins would be on us forever. Yes, Jesus' entire existence, from the moment of his conception, I should say from his entire human existence, from the moment of his conception all the way to when he ascended back on high to heaven, all of that was done for us and our salvation. Every step along the way was done perfectly according to the will of the Father in heaven. And because it was all done perfectly, well, then there was the sacrifice to be offered on Good Friday. And because the sacrifice was offered, our sins are taken away. And When we recognize all of that, when we recognize how much our Lord God has done for us in his son Jesus, not just dying and rising, but living in perfection every moment before that, well, then we should be ready to give thanks. And we should be ready to do it in word and in deed. We should do it when we confess the creeds. Or when we're simply talking about the salvation that we have to others more casually. We should do it when we offer up the first fruits of the things the Lord God blesses us with. For we have been taken out of the slavery of sin and delivered into the land of promise. And so we must be thankful Yes, our offerings are meant to be as much a confession of the faith as the words of the creed are. Both are to manifest how we feel about Jesus. The people that received the instruction we heard in our Old Testament reading no doubt had been told time and time again with every Passover how God had saved his people. You and I who gather here week after week hear the story of God's salvation for us in Christ time and time again. And unfortunately, sometimes because it becomes so familiar, we start to take it for granted. But let us repent of such attitude. Instead, when we confess the creed, let us do it with sincerity, rather than just speaking some words because they're on the page or because they're carved into our memory. Let us think about what we are saying when we confess that we believe in God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit as our Savior God. Let us indeed say these things from the heart, knowing that these truths are the very thing that sustain us from day to day. 
And then let us confess that same gratitude through the offerings that we place into the plate to be gathered on the altar of God. May we never do that out of compulsion or because we think that somehow we're going to earn God's favor through doing it. Instead, let us do it truly as cheerful givers who simply wish to confess that we have been recipients of so great amount of gifts from our God that we cannot do any other. Let us ponder all that Christ has done for us anew from his birth, through his temptation, through his teaching, and all the way up to his death and resurrection. And let us pour out then the thanksgiving that comes forward right into the offering plate. For Satan, sadly, is not done tempting. Though he was defeated by Jesus, he still tries to tempt you. He wants you to think of that creed as nothing more than a few dead words for you to repeat without any conviction. He wants for you to think of your offering as something that is an obligation you have to do that will rob you of some other joy or thing. But when we recognize all that God has done for us, we recognize why the creed and the offering are close companions, not only in the service, but ultimately in our lives as well. We simply come before the Lord time and time again, humbly confessing that we once were slaves, but we now are free. Christ has freed us. He has given us a new life full of vibrant confession and generous giving. We've spoken the creed already today, and now we will make that same confession of faith with our offerings. For yes, we once were slaves, but now we are free men and women. Thanks be to Jesus, our mighty fortress. Amen. <laughs>